Live, and um, I'm here with Chris Vandeford, who is the owner of Transition One. And uh, Chris, just first, I appreciate you doing this, especially given some of the technical issues we've had. Good to be here. Um, I want to make sure that I, I'm going to go ahead while we're sitting here. I'm going to pull up your website and um, tell a little bit about um, – we've actually known each other for a while – and uh, I worked with Sophia when uh, I was in town. And Probably was, 10 years. Yeah, it's been a while. And um, I actually lived next to Chris's parents when I was in. So Chris is in my hometown of Springfield, Ohio. He lives there currently, but doesn't work, does work all over. And uh, and when we were in, when we were living in Springfield, I was next to, I lived next to his parents. Um, that's been a little while now, but uh but yeah, I've always had a great deal of respect for you and Sophia and what you guys do from a distance and definitely what your dad did. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, again, it's good to be here today and looking forward to uh, to our conversation. Yeah. All right. Good. So, you know, what we're going to do, I'll just ask you some things about you, you know, personally, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about the company and then get into just some conversation about, and I think this will be interesting as I kind of discussed with you last week, it'll be interesting because... Um, the conversation around branding, I think, can touch what you're doing with Transition One, but also, you know, just with your knowledge of the dental industry and, and, and some of how that's changed over the years and how that's being handled today, I think will be interesting to people as well. So, um, but to start, can you just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and went to school and, you know, we talked about Sophia, your family and sure. What about you guys? Grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, Decatur. And uh, if you've been to Atlanta any time recently, Decatur is a really hip, booming town. It was a little industrial town when I grew up back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, met my wife at college at BYU out in Utah. And I told myself I'd be a bachelor forever and make a lot of money and drive some fancy cars. And I met her the first day of school and and uh, we were married the same year. So, wow. Yeah, we were quick. We knew exactly what we wanted. And then a few years later, we had our first. So we were kids having kids. Landon, we did everything backwards. <laughs> we didn't follow any manual. We just did the opposite of what we're supposed to. And somehow it worked out. I didn't know there was a manual. I've been, <laughs> <laughs> I've been yeah, married is. 17 years and haven't found that. Yeah, so we're 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 married thirty years, have two boys, twenty eight and twenty three, and and it worked out. So that's we've known each other since we were young kids. Actually, if you think about it, being in our fifties. But um, I was working manufacturing land and out in Utah for a period of time, working eighty hours a week and loving every minute of it, and. Um, just realized that I was going to live a life of regret. You're never home. You're never watching your kids grow up and decided to hang a shingle out in the Midwest and start a business. So that's kind of the snapshot of where I was and how I came here. Now that's, and I know that you, you kind of made a transition and, you know, tell maybe just kind of jump into a little bit about the industry that you're in now. And uh, really quick, how long have you, how long have you had transition one? I feel like, you know, I've been in business um, since 2015, I feel like you started transition one in a similar time frame. Is that, is that right? I worked in a similar industry. I learned kind of as an apprentice or an associate for a decade or so. 
and then um, jumped. I had no idea what my name would be. Didn't have a marketing team, didn't have staff or employees like I do now. Just put everything in a box, walked out one day and said, I think I can do it. And that was 2014. That's right. I remember that. And then I know that relatively shortly after that, we were, I think the way we started working together initially was you had some clients that you sent our way to help with a few I did. things. That's how it started. Yeah. And uh, some mailings and other little, you know, marketing things that they were doing. Um, you and I blanketed the Midwest with postcards for about two years. That's right. Yeah. And um, so tell me, we'll, we'll jump into talk. Can, can you tell a little bit about, I know that it's been, you know, I've had to learn kind of what you do and, and tell me a little bit about what Transition One does so that okay understand. If you are in, in the healthcare industry, doctors, dentists, vets, chiropractors, physical therapy, and you're looking to retire, you would call me. And I would help you find the buyer. I would help you sell your business for a certain price. I would help you draw up the contracts, get the buyer financing. And I'm basically the quarterback that puts it all together and then the project manager that runs it to the finish line. So it's uh, it's 100 moving parts. But doing this now for 21 years, we're really, really good at it. So it took, I had a, Landon, I had a dentist this year, closed his practice in Cleveland. We have our feet up on the desk. We're celebrating a closing. And he looks at me and goes, Chris, do you like what you do? And I've never had that asked before. Hmm. And his name was Ken. I go, Ken, took me about 15 years because we're dealing with hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars, spouses, CPAs, attorneys, and anybody else who has an opinion on the deal. And it took about 15 years to get really good at this. You had to see the worst and the best to know what works. And so uh, now I love what I do. But it took a decade and a half, two decades to get to this point. So if you, I've even had businesses in Columbus that have nothing to do with the healthcare industry. I want to sell my business. Chris, can you sit down with me and guide me? And I said, if you show me your financials, I can tell you how to evaluate your business. All those metrics run similar patterns and I can help you there. So it's mostly healthcare. Dental is the niche, but when you get good at negotiating buy sell, you can do it with about anything. That's interesting. I didn't know that you were kind of dabbling in some other. I mean, you mentioned dental being the niche. I didn't know that you were working in some other industries. Mm-hmm. I have uh, helped. Let's see. In the last couple of years, chiropractic, physical therapy, um, medical, um, gastroenterology, orthodontics, all of those. Even yeah. uh, even a, a appliance store in Columbus. Huh. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and you mentioned it took you 20 years. I mean, I assume that what you're referring to there is, I mean, yeah, it's experience, but it's also just building up a, a network of relationships, right? It's just people that trust you. and. Funny story. So when I was 30 and started this business, you know, now I'm going on 52, I remember sitting down with these seasonal professionals worth millions of dollars, and they would be very polite, but they would smile at me and go, you know, Son, how old are you? And I'm supposed to trust my millions with you, right? And um, 
What you have to learn in this business is to be able to sit down with someone and say, your practice is worth, just make a number, 1.5 million. Here's how we're gonna structure it so you get the best capital gains tax treatment. Here's the kind of buyer you need. You can spend three years and exhaust your resources looking in the wrong pool of buyers. Here's the right buyer, I know where to get them. Here's the bank that's going to do it. Not every bank will do it because it's a cash flow loan. Yep. And here's the CPA and attorney that have done so many of these, they can become your team and ally and help you do it. So again, to sit down with a seller or a buyer and then 45 minutes later when I walk out, they say, Chris, that's the first time I've heard this information in my entire career. That's how I get them. And that's how I do my business is they hear something they've never heard before. Mm-hmm. So all that knowledge took 20 years. So when I sit down, I can say, I know exactly what you're worth, how to get your maximum value, the team to assemble. And I know how to get you across the finish line and all those other voices. I need you to ignore. I need you to focus on mine and I'll get you there. How do you go about, I mean, I, I have some idea just because of some of the things I help you with, but for the benefit of, anybody who's listening, like when you tell them that you've got, you know, where to find the buyer and at the risk of asking for the secret mm-hmm. sauce, you know, mm-hmm. um, how do you go about that? I mean, is it, is that purely just the network that's been built up over time or is it? It is. Uh, so I have 20 years of databases. I have 15 to 20,000 email addresses across the country. Um, I, I renew those databases every year with the different, uh, business organizations in each state. Um, I'm in publications, social media. As you know, if I have a closing and I put it on LinkedIn, I'll get 4,000 hits in one day. So I have a lot of people now that are very savvy and recognize um, how to find me versus you remember 15, 20 years ago, we didn't even have an iPhone. Yeah. You know, when you're driving to an appointment, you have to stop at a hotel and use their business center and their fax machine. I mean, we just now I can do everything just with my iPhone. So they're finding me now. But most of what I'm doing after 500 closings and lots and lots of of feedback, it's a network. It's a referral-based system like you. Yeah. So in a lot of cases, you've got... You know, if you're sitting down with a guy or a gal and, and, and you've got a, you know, you mentioned a million and a half dollar valuation and you're pretty confident at that point that you've got somebody that you can pick up the phone and, and sort of start to. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that that's that's interesting to me because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of value in, you know, it's like a lot of people, they, they spend their whole life building a company, whatever it is, whether it's a practice of some kind or a company. And then they wake up one day and they decide that, you know, and some of them I don't even think ever think about selling it. You know, they, they run it, they make a good living. And then at some point they're like, they blink and they're however old. And they're like, okay, either I'm tired of working this hard or I just, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Just educate me a little on what you see. Well, like, Landon, think about this, yeah. regardless of what profession, even yourself, even yeah. yourself. You have a business that generates revenue, which if you think about it, anything that generates revenue and good cash flow is a, is a sellable asset. But it's static. You're sitting yeah. on it. And you're going, you know what? Life is going to be perfect for me for the next 10 years. I'm not going to have any disability. 
There'll be no curveballs thrown in my family. I'll never have any accidents. Everything's going to be perfect. And in 10 years, I'll sell. Smart business people don't do that. When a dentist knows he has a limited amount of time left, physically and mentally, smart dentist, smart chiropractor, smart vet, smart physical therapist, they begin the transition process and find their buyer when their value is at the strongest. They take their chips off the table, put it into the market, wherever they invest it. And then over the next three, two, one years, they phase out. But here's what happens. I have a 72-year-old dentist in Detroit. He has cancer. He has a very limited amount of time that he can be in the office and generate revenue. So instead of doing this when he was 68, 69, he waited to the point to where life said, surprise, and now we're an emergency fire sale. And he's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars because he didn't sell it the year before. Why? Because when you sit down with these guys, three more years. I got three more years. So a smart business person says, if I have a three to five year window, I'm going to take my chips off the table now. And what's what are those chips worth in five years versus a static asset that is not doing anything for you until you sell it? that makes sense. So you're saying, you know, if I'm reflecting to make sure that I understand what you're kind of saying is rather than kind of building this asset and then selling it in the future, you're saying that it's not doing anything for me at this point, other than the cash flow that I'm being paid. So, you know, as the owner, mm-hmm. but there's the, uh, the opportunity to monetize it right now. Yep. And, and I got you. Yep. Monetize it now, but even if you want to maintain control of your business and go, Chris, I'm not selling your business, that's fine, but know what you're worth and then monetize it before disability or life affects your business and your revenue stream. So do not wait for the emergency to call and say, I have to sell now. Be smart. The smartest guys I know are probably 58 to 62, and they go, you know what? I just want to do this correctly. I still like what I do, but I know I'm at my peak. I can get maximum value. It's going to pull that value off, but I still like this. So I'll support the buyer over a period of years and phase out the way I want to. And so it, it it's really sounds like, and, and you need to correct me if I'm wrong, but when I look at it, I'm thinking like, like I guess my business would be very similar because at this point in my business's history, it's still very dependent on me. So it's yeah. like, you know, for this business, very much like a dental practice or a chiropractor, mm-hmm. for it to have a lot of value, people are buying from me. Now yep. we're changing that, but people are buying from me. They're buying from Dr. So-and-so. And in order for me to monetize the company, I'm going to have to be around for a little while to sort of bridge the gap. As, opposed to, as opposed to like a company that, you know, either has recurring revenue in- intrinsically or has value intrinsically that can be sold. So I'm going to sit down with you for 30 seconds. I would tell you, you need to distribute the creativity, the workload, and the productivity to one or two Landon Juniors. That's what you need to do. Get your best value. Because when a buyer comes in, they would say, I'm going to pay you top dollar because of the revenue you've generated. I'm going to match that. Give that to you. But if you leave, the business has not been affected because I still have two more Landons who can do what you do. Right. That's how you get your value, and that's yeah. how you get out early. 
Gotcha. And you're doing, you know, within transition, what you're, you're, it sounds to me like you're doing those transactions, but you're also doing effectively some consulting, right? Where you're actually not I'm necessarily. I'm flying out to Dallas, Texas on Wednesday. I have a very large client. He is paying me a large sum of money to consult. And the consulting is giving him advice that he hasn't heard elsewhere. And this is a very seasoned professional. He called me in New York City. I was in Central Park with my family, and we talked for two hours. I'm standing in the zoo in Central Park. And he said, I have interviewed a dozen people. And he said, you're telling me things I haven't heard from any of them. Hmm. So he's bringing me out to consult with his team and his associate because I can give him value that 20 years of knowledge has put us together and I can teach him a million dollars worth of knowledge in a couple of meetings. So now I'm curious, how are you going about that in your business? Because there's a lot of knowledge in your head that can't necessarily be transferred. You're super smart. So this is a conversation I have with myself and my wife all the time. Yeah. It can't be just me running the business. So I have a gentleman in Columbus who works for me, a lady in Toledo who works with me, and they're very good at what they do. Yep. But the more transitions and the more relationships that I can help them put together, the more experience they can gain, and then they can fill my shoes. So my role is to teach what I know. Yeah. So the downloading, you just have more opportunities to download what you've learned. and No question, because their personality skills are there. Yeah. It's just sitting, and if the dentist goes, well, I want to sell half the business to a partner, is that a good idea? Well, you have to know immediately you can't sell half of goodwill and get capital gains. You have to sell all of goodwill. So you would say, Doc, we'll sell it all on paper, but it'll happen in two stages, and that's how you get your capital gains treatment, and that's how you become partners over time. If you didn't know how to do that, you'd lose it, but that's just experience. Yeah. And you, you mentioned capital gains treatment. You're talking about how the, how the sale gets taxed, essentially, right? So a majority of the goodwill, which you want, if you took a pie chart and said, well, what's Landon's business worth? If I took a pie chart and said, how much of that is goodwill and how much is that of tangible assets? Well, basically, your conveyance of goodwill uh, would be 75 80% of the purchase price. And that's taxed at the lowest tax treatment. And then we'll assign an allocation of tangible assets, like all the equipment in your office. Right. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive when you sell how you create that pie chart to best protect both buyer and seller from tax hit. It doesn't match what you're selling on the front end. You have to counterintuitively shape it so that the IRS doesn't take all those proceeds from the seller. Because right. I've got a seller right now who goes, Chris, I have a million dollars worth of equipment. Why didn't you value that in the contracts? I go, because if I do that, you get taxed on ordinary income for that million dollars worth of equipment. I would rather put in the contract a million dollars worth of goodwill, and it's 20% tax instead of 40%. Yeah. So little, it, it's, it's funny, Landon, the little nuances like that, that's how a seller goes, he knows what he's doing. He's yeah. going to save me 300000 Chris, I need your help. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, and, and that is, to your point, that's where 
a consultant has a lot of value because I mean, that guy or gal is practicing dentistry or, you know, being a chiropractor, whatever it is, they're not sitting around thinking about things like that. And, and we, and, and, you know, it's funny, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you know, there's a difference between what you're going to be paid and how you get paid that <laughs> essentially like yep. you know, the, the way you get paid something is as important as what you get paid, I guess. In a no, lot no, no question. So the other the, the other component I would tell you is everybody believes a buy and sell is just one way. I'm going to buy your business. I'm going to give you X, and then you're going to leave, and I'm going to take over. There are a hundred different tools we can take off the shelf to structure it so that you get what you want. You might have said before you even met me, I want maximum value, but I want to work 24 months, and then I'm out. Okay. That's how we're going to structure it. Or... I want 20% of the revenues, and then he can buy me out in two years. Fine. That's what we'll do. So there's a million ways to do it as long as it's fair and win-win. There's, there's, you, don't, you never have to sit down and someone say, I don't want to retire because there's only one way to retire. No, that's not true. Interesting. So in a lot of those, I mean, it, and it's probably an oversimplification, but in a lot of those instances, the buyer – is coming in and they're essentially assuming some debt to acquire a lot of debt. They're going to service over, a, you know, a period of time out of the proceeds of the business. So they have to be able to, you know, meet overhead and make what they want to make and also service the debt that's required to buy out the founder essentially. Right. It's an, yeah, it's an amazing business. You can have, I'll go to dental, the dental practices. So, I learned this, I heard a seminar from Bank of America, the president of Bank of America, the practice solutions division, not Jamie Dimon, but Joe Dinacola. It's a $7 billion arm. Every year they finance dental $7 billion a year. That's their average. And he was giving a presentation, Joe did, and he says, what is the one loan in America that has the least default rate of all loans? It's burial plots. Nobody defaults on a burial plot ever. Second lowest default rate in the United States are dental, dental loans. Really? You can be the worst business manager. You can hurt patients when you put your hands on them, and you can still make an outstanding living. And the dental loans, you can get these young kids out of school a year or two. You, I, I just sold a practice last year. He's been out of school a year and a half for 1.8 million. He borrowed 100% cash. That's crazy. Because, because the cash the flows are so loans? strong. Yeah. They're so strong that the, the banks that like dental loans will finance these young buyers amounts that just most banks would never do for a business transaction. It's an What's amazing term. Usually. I mean, are we talking 10 years? 10 years usually? Right so, now, they're at about three and a quarter percent, 10 years. And if you buy a building, obviously, uh, you can amortize that over 20, 25 years. Right. And you have some banks that will blend both terms, and you can have a 15-year rate for both. It's, it's, it's incredible. How often do you see the, the seller keep the building and lease it like the, like want to keep the real estate asset or do they most of the time need to get or, or even the buyer probably sometimes says, no, I don't want to do that. Well, in today's environment, it wouldn't make sense for either party to say that. And here's why. If you have a 2000 square foot building 
just been a normal, say Columbus, and you want to lease it to me, the, the market value per square foot for that, I would pay triple to you as a landlord than I would to the bank for a mortgage payment. With the interest rates being so low, I could buy a $600,000 building and pay a third to the bank monthly that I would to pay you as a landlord for the landlord. Yeah. So a well, smart buyer a really high sell, you know, sell price for it right now. The, the sellers can. And so they're motivated. So yeah. I'll ask a seller. I said, you understand that a buyer will probably ask for the building at the same time. And, the, and right now the sellers are, I'll take it. And they have to think too, if I'm trying to sit on a big lease payment, that's going to, That'll affect a person's ability to cash flow the debt they're trying to take on. To Thank you. Money. Yeah. So very much so, and that affects the loan and approval of the loan. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, okay. Um, it is. It, it. You. You know this. We've talked about this several times. It fascinates me, and and um, it's. Uh, and I think my mind works like that. I love talking about that kind of stuff. But but let's talk. I, I want to just jump into like just brand building, and first we'll talk about transition one. I know you've worked very hard. Once you did decide on a name and um, you've worked really hard to build a particular brand and a, and a quality brand for transition one, can you just tell me, just kind of define your brand and the unique value? I think, and you've touched on some of it as we've talked, but just give me kind of how you would, in your own words, define your brand and the, and the value proposition that transition one offers. Well, when I sit down with a seller or buyer, and I work with both equally, um, I tell them that this business is based on relationships. Anytime you're in the healthcare business, you build your business based on relationships. When you buy a business, that's the most important relationship of your career is building a relationship with that buyer or seller. My job is not to sell a car, a used car or a house. It's to help both dentists realize that this, the magnitude of the relationship and to make sure that it's structured correct. All the scaffolding is correct. So I'll sit. So when I, when I vet a buyer, I vet them hard. Are they mature? Do you know what they want? Are they smart? Are they clinically skilled? When I introduce them to a seller, I sit them both in a room and go, guys, I'm very good at what I do, but I can only do so much. There is a component of this that you have to do. You have to build this relationship. And so while I'm circling the wagons and working with all the advisors, I need you two meeting a lot. Because when the attorney drops that shoe at the one yard line, I need for the seller to call the buyer and say, let's meet at Panera's over beer and pretzels. And in 10 minutes, they can solve what attorneys couldn't solve in 30 days. Yeah. That's what I do. A lot less money. A lot less money. So I tell them all, how am I different? I focus on building the right relationships, a.k.a. the right fit every time. Yeah. Got it. Interesting. Um, well, t- I'm curious then as the uh, and we'll, this will kind of dovetail nicely into talking about dental practices in general. But what are the challenges you're facing as you continue to try to grow your business? I mean, is it the entry of the large corporations buying practices. That's it. it. Yeah. So I really don't have any competition. A lot of people say, well, Hey, there's four or five brokers in Ohio and there's a dozen in Michigan and there's CPAs. And and I just say, I I don't have any competition. If you're good at what you do, you don't. 
and there's enough there's enough dentist physicians in the Midwest for a hundred of us. Plus, plus, I I don't want to be a high volume shop. I want to be a very niche concierge. I like working with larger acquisitions. But the consolidation of all healthcare. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, I went to a dental show in Columbus, and I knew something was happening five years ago, Landon. For the first time ever at the largest convention, usually there's 12 different banks. This time, there were more large dental corporations hmm. with booze than there were banks. And I said, something's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's consolidating so fast that it's cannibalizing a lot of those practices that the kids coming out of school would have the opportunity to take over. So now my, my theory and assumption is in eight to 10 years, if you graduate from medical school in any profession, it's what corporation am I going to work for? Because the mom and pops will be gone. It's not what I want, but it is just the reality of what's happening. And that is the biggest challenge to me are those large corporations. Now, do I work with them? I do, but I would prefer to work with individuals like yourself. Yeah, no, that's, and I'm curious, is that happening for a lot of the same reasons like it is in healthcare where just the cost of standing alone because of liability insurance or whatever it might be is just getting to be a bit untenable or? That and these large corporations, they don't have to qualify with the bank like you and I do. They are the bank. Yeah. Any dentist, and I have many of them that are anti-corporate, will say, Chris, there is no way I am selling out to a corporate entity. See, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, it was like the sentiment around it. Yeah. But when that check slides across the table and it's 20, 50, 100 percent more than what you and I can give them, a dentist or a vet or a chiropractor says, I didn't work my entire career to discount the sale at the end. Well, and in those cases, I'll bet that's like, and, you know, they're getting that extra money and they don't have to hang around for three years in a lot of cases, right? They just walk out the door with. Usually it's 24 months, 12 to to 24 minimum. Gotcha. But the buyer is so experienced that there's an easy phase out. Yeah. So. That is the biggest challenge, because if you think about it, let's say I want to do this for another 20 years. Those people that I would have 20-year relationships with, sellers selling to a buyer, and then I'd work with that buyer for another 10 or 20 years and then sell his business, that window is becoming smaller and smaller. Yeah. And so in light of all that, like I know, for example, when I first – it's kind of a weird story, but when I first even started selling to dentists in the first place, my my, uh, my wife's cousin is a dentist in Atlanta, and I met him at a wedding, got to talking to him. I was in this business, did some things for his practice. He was dealing with a PR agency that happened to do work for Align Technologies. And so he introduced me to this lady, and we, she and I just built a really great relationship. They were doing what were called, at the time, they were kind of coordinating what was called at the uh, Align Days. So they would... Mm-hmm. You know, they'd foot the bill for balloons and T-shirts and whatever for these dental offices to promote Invisalign mm-hmm. on one day. And she brought me out to Vegas, and I was like kind of just her little pet vendor, so to speak. 
to connect with these dentists and sell T-shirts and balloons if they wanted, you know. And so, and it was being underwritten by the company. So regional managers would call me and say, "I'm going to do it here and there," and we just sort of standardized a package and went with it. But what was interesting about getting out there is that at that time, and that was probably, gosh, that would have been probably 2005, 2006. I was talking to some older dentists, and it was very apparent that at that time there was a big sort of these older dentists just did not you didn't market. When these guys mm-hmm. got into business, that just you didn't do that. And so, I mean, they were like, it was just like almost taboo. And then you had this like, so for the longest time, it didn't happen. And it seemed like in the mid 2000s or whatever, it started to really like, you it know, just started marketing like crazy. So um, tell me, like, you know, where does that come into play? I know with Transition One, we're doing a lot of marketing with the mailers and the different things to help you stay in front of the, your potential clients, buyers and sellers. We have uh, Zoom meetings with my team every couple of weeks, and probably they hear more than any other phrase in the Zoom meetings is we need to evolve and we need to think bigger all the time. Uh, the same marketing doesn't work. Um, the same message, the same strategies don't work. We have to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to look like a successful company, so we have to think like a successful company. And if we stay small, we're going to present small. So with you, part of my strategy has been to project an image of success. And what does that look like? It's a buyer and seller with their arms wrapped around each other at a closing. Everyone's happy because success invites success. So I can, I have articles I've published nationwide. I can print my article and send it to people and say, look how smart I am. I'm not going to get a lot of business. But if I do a, you specifically help me design a marketing strategy where I'm showing two people that came together, exchange funds, and it was very successful, both thought they won. Mm-hmm. I get more bang for that. And then that ripples through 10 different channels. Yeah. I'll hear from a friend who talked to a friend who ported to a friend. And that's, that's where we're going with our engagement. Yeah. The, the way I always talk to people about like our objective with Goodson's marketing is that we're trying to communicate our personality as a company. And you know, so if people have read the book, start with why by Simon Sinek, it's kind of like, you know, people do business with people of like mind. And, you know, obviously we place a high, you know, high importance on, on relationships. So do you, you know, so there's this, this tendency to work with companies that do the same thing, but we, we focus on, that's our objective, you know, in the things that we do, we want to create content that communicates our personality so that if someone sees the things that we're doing, they can relatively quickly decide that seems like a place that fits me or it doesn't. And, you know, from, I think the same thing is true of what you guys are doing, which is, you you know, you're doing these, what you just described, but I think the subtle, there's so many subtleties in it, but it's also driving home that idea of relationship, you know, kind of in the background of all of it. And so if you're a, you know, a, a potential buyer or seller out there and you see that stuff, I think you're going to respond. Well, I give you a lot of credit for that. I'm really good at documents, finance, tax law. I'm not good at marketing. I, I know my life. I'm, I'm really not. And you've had such a creative spark to help us come up with images and messages that I think we would not have been able to do on our own. So I give you a lot of credit for that. It's it's worked out really, really well. 
really well, better than I expected. I appreciate it. I, and it's, it's been fun for me to be a part of. Um, tell me, like, when you're – I'm curious, just looking at the practices that you're you're working with buyers and sellers in, what are you hearing on the on the practice level as far as, like, what are they doing from a marketing standpoint, and how is that evolving and changing in that environment of sort of the big corporations moving in? And well, if you think about what you said a little earlier, in the middle of the 2000s, that's when the Internet changed everything. Yeah. The average practice has grown so dramatically because of better management, better technology, better systems, uh, social media, better marketing. You have all these tools that are available to young people today that weren't available 15 or 20 years. So the growth has been exponential in these businesses. And it's because now they can keep all of these um monies in-house rather than referring them out. So I would say the average practice sale in 2004, 2005 was around four or 500,000. And I'd say the average practice sale today is 800 to a million too. Wow. I mean, that's, that's 15 years. Yeah. And the driver, is it in, in the, in the dental practice business is the driver, making sure that, you know, you're getting people in the chairs for their, yes, you know, basically for their every six months cleaning. Because I mean, it's yes. a little, like, if you don't yes. get the car, if you don't get the car in the shop, you can't see. Yes. What's the, the, the hygiene is the heartbeat of the business. Yeah. So you have emails. I get texts telling me my hygiene appointments coming up type Y to confirm. And, you know, yep. I get emails, I get phone calls. I, there are, there's social media, there's Facebook now, there's, yeah. it's just incredible the amount of reinforcement and marketing out there yep. to fill those chairs that weren't there before two decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the concentration at the practice level is, you know, giving people things, obviously, you know, some of it's practical, like you walk out with your bag and you get the toothbrush and the toothpaste or, yeah. the, you know, the kid, the things for the kids or whatever, but you know, a lot of it is centered around making sure that you're staying in contact with those with, with the patients so that they're coming in consistently. And yeah, I actually remember talking to your dad about that, you know, just talking about any, and, and, and even you and him mentioned just how generally that dentists aren't great at that or historically hadn't been great at that. Not great business people, great dentists, but not great business people in terms of understanding the importance of keeping the patients aware of their need to come in for the cleanings and things like that. Yep. So you have these young people now that have all these tools and resources that they did not have Yeah. two decades ago. So that's why you can see a dental specialist or a, just a dentist in general making income that would raise your eyebrows just because that cash flow is so strong now because of all the tools available to them. So. Well, that's that's the other thing I didn't really think about. I mean, that is a cash and carry business, and it's a um, it's it's a good cash business. I mean, you know, people are coming in there and getting services, and they're paying, you know, healthy rates, and it's they're paying before they walk out the door for the most part. I I, I guess there's some practices that probably have receivables, but probably not a lot. Or am I? It's about half and half. Okay. You know, the ones I work with, you yeah. know, the large a lot of the larger practices try to have. Uh, an equal mix of cash and insurance. If you have a 90, 100% insurance-based practice, the adjustments are tremendous and your receivables are high. Yeah. Insurances are common, but you see now dentists trying to cut back on more and more insurance and get more 
front money. They're doing a lot. Of, I noticed that one thing I noticed was that there's a lot of them doing trying to do their own sort of in-house insurance plan, if you will, or like the very successful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know that I've taken advantage of those when I at the places that I've gone to. You ought to try that little Goodson insurance plan, little payment plan. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I'm in I'm in Vistage. Are you, are you familiar with Vistage? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like a meeting group of owners and uh, company owners and things like that. They brought in a speaker and he was talking about just the way on a, on a different scale, like how they value recurring revenue or, you know, and so just challenging all the people in the room to think about ways to create recurring revenue. And I mean, we don't, we don't have any recurring revenue. I mean, you know, we have reoccurring, <laughs> but not, yes. you know, so that, and that is, that's a great point. But, and I, and I know those plans have been really, really successful for very this. successful, yeah. very successful. Um, we're, we're getting down to, to time. And I know that with some of the technical issues, I've already taken more of your time than you plan for. So I just, the, the thing I, the last thing I want to ask is just, you know, if you look back on kind of the things that we've done for you, um, you know, where, have, where do you think we perform the best and where, where can we improve in terms of, I, I think two things, three things jump out that separate you guys from others. And, and I know we're friends, but business is business. You know, we've used other uh, sources and you guys really are, are heads and shoulders in these areas. And I'll tell you what they are. Uh, your customer service, whenever I text you or email you, it's immediate response. And when something is being designed or there's some sort of, marketing that you're working on on your end i'm always getting blueprints mock-ups you know these drafts so quickly that your service is unparalleled i can't get that quick response from other vendors your quality is better than anybody else's funny i have these business cards you know you've done you've done my business cards yeah i'll hand my business cards to people and they look at them and go that is the coolest business card I've ever seen. Look how thick that material is. Look at the quality yeah. of that thing. I get it all the time. And I just say, yeah, I know a guy. Yeah. And no, then uh, your creativity. I think a lot of the transition one design that's come together, you've helped me put that together. And that's just a collaboration of ideas. But I would think your creativity and your designer's creativity, it's just on par on a whole nother level. So from my point of view, I value your customer service. I value your quality and your creativity is better than anyone I've worked with. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's been enjoyable. I think the one thing I've always appreciated about you is you, you receive a lot of, and I know you're, you do that with your team. I think that you collaborate and receive, you know, the, the things that people suggest and, uh, and you guys have done really well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is, um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed being a part of transition one. And also I think I always tell everybody too, the thing that I love about my job and what I do with Goodson is I've always loved business in general. And so just even having conversations like this, learning more about, and that's probably one reason the podcast has been valuable for me and for our company is it's created a platform to take, you know, a Chris Vandeford who I've known for a long time and, you know, on some level you think, you know, the company, but this platform for whatever reason creates the ability to go deeper in the conversation about the company, which then helps us to be better. Cause the better mm-hmm. I understand you, just like in your business, the better I understand you, Sophia, the team, what you guys are doing, how the industry is moving, the better I can be 
in terms of the things that we try to help you with and the things that we show you. Um, so, yeah. So I, you know, thank you so much for, for thank the you. that you sent us. And uh, it's I been a great it. partnership. It's worked out really well. Yeah. Uh, in spite of the tech issues we had today, we, we made it. And, uh, but Hey, I thank you for doing this. I, anybody who's listening, transition one.net, uh, Chris Vandeford and his team, Frankly, I mean, if you're, you know, if anybody's listening to this is is in the areas that they work in or knows someone who might be thinking about transitioning soon, this is the place to send them. So uh, thank you again. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Landon.